Good morning. If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 3 with me. We're continuing in Mark's gospel. Continuing in chapter 3, starting in verse 7 this morning. We have a saying in America that bigger is better. And some folks live that up. You know, why drive a Geo Metro if you could drive a Hummer? Besides gas prices. Why buy a pint of ice cream if you could buy a gallon? Amen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Certainly, at least bulk is better, right? Well, we will see the contrast of the great and the small in our passage today. Although Jesus has large crowds, uh, and in fact larger crowds than anybody else in Israel, he's going to work through a select few. Perhaps bigger is not always better, depending on your objective. So we're going to see that in our passage this morning. If you would, let's read uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, and down through 19 today. If you would, please follow along. Chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, <clears throat> so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, and that, that is, sons of thunder, <clears throat> Andrew and uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege this morning to gather together as your people to hear the word spoken, to to have an opportunity to preach, to pray together, to sing together to you, and all of this in peace. Thank you for that gift this morning. We do think of and we now pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, uh, millions of believers there in Ukraine uh, who have no peace today, not in an earthly sense. We pray that you would provide them peace in their hearts, a peace that this world does not offer. And Lord, I pray that you would offer us peace this morning, that you would give us that peace that you offer. Pray as we look into your word that you would transform us. 
that you would conform us to your image, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In our passage here, Mark is describing for us and showing us that in spite of Jesus' rejection by the religious leaders, Jesus continues in the mission that he was given. And at this point, he is wildly popular. There are people coming from all over to see him. Uh, The next step that he takes in this mission that's been given to him is to appoint and disciple 12 apostles who are going to broaden out that work and continue it uh, beyond him. And so as we're thinking about this passage and we apply it to ourselves, maybe the main point we want to take away from this for today is that Jesus was faithful to his mission and he discipled his followers. And as his disciples, we should do likewise. He was faithful to his mission and he discipled his followers. As his disciples, we should do likewise. Uh, Let's work through verses 7 to 12 uh, and see that Jesus is faithful to his call. And then in verse 13 to 19, uh, we'll see how he uh, sends these disciples out. As we were tracking through chapter 2 of Mark's gospel, we saw that the hostility against Jesus continued to ratchet up. And we saw that boil over in chapter 3 when the Pharisees and the Herodians go out and begin to hold counsel about how they can destroy Jesus. After this, Jesus withdraws to the sea. Now, it's not that Jesus is afraid, but rather his time is not yet. And it's not yet come, and so he dismisses himself from the fray for a while. This is no vacation. Uh, The sea referred to here is probably not the Mediterranean Sea. The sea that Jesus is around in his earthly ministry so much of the time is the Sea of Galilee. Um, There's a very good possibility that this last scene took place in Capernaum, as so many have so far. And so he's probably leaving any kind of a town. He's going out to the wilderness. He's going to a little more desolate place. Uh, But for all of its remoteness, Jesus is anything but alone. It says here that a great crowd followed him. Uh, Once again, and not for the last time, we encounter a great crowd around Jesus. This is going to happen all throughout Mark's gospel. Although rejected by the religious leaders, Jesus is wildly popular. Uh, At least in the sense that everybody wants to see him, everybody wants to be around him. These people have heard that Jesus has been hard at work. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's been exercising demons. And so people are turning out in groves. John the Baptist had a pretty large group of people coming out to see him preach by the Jordan River and to be baptized. But Jesus has an even larger crowd coming. The crowd's from all over the place. It says from Galilee. Now that's... In the northern area, that's where Jesus has been ministering. People are coming from Galilee. They're coming from Judea. That's going to be a larger area in the south. They're coming from Jerusalem. That's the capital city in Israel. They're coming from Edomia. That's Edom. And that's southeast of Israel. They're coming from beyond the Jordan. So that's going to be east of the Jordan River, the Transjordan area. And they're coming from Tyre and Sidon. Um, That's north and west of Israel. Uh, Tyre and Sidon are, are largely Gentile populations. 
Uh, Tyre and Sidon are up the coast, farther down the coast. We, we hear about the Philistines a lot in the book of Judges and First and Second Samuel. They're the same people group as the Philistines, except for they're, they're separated. They're farther up the coast. Uh, and even Tyre and Sidon is coming to hear Jesus and, and uh, to come and see him. The crowd is so great and so urgent that Jesus asks his disciples to get a boat for him so that he can get in the boat and he can have a little distance to preach so that he doesn't get crushed by the crowd. It says here that everybody is wanting to get by him and to touch him. Uh, that Their hope is in touching him, they'll be healed. Of course, we see this in chapter 5. Uh, as Jesus is going, there's a crowd thronging him, around him, thronging around him, and a woman comes up and touches him, and she's healed by that. Well, they've got the same idea. People are wanting to get just close enough to Jesus that they could even reach a hand out and lay their hand on him and be healed. And the result is if everybody did that, Jesus would be crushed. Uh, the, the thing that comes to my mind as I, I was reading through this is the, the stories that we hear on Black Friday, you know. People are so urgent to get $200 off of a TV that sometimes they're even willing to trample other people to death. Uh, There's a certain kind of urgency that we see on display there. Well, I mean, these people are coming to Jesus to be healed. They're not just coming to save a little bit of money and have some competition at it. They're coming so that they can be restored. They want to be by Jesus. They want to get even just close enough to touch him. In our account here, although Mark doesn't explicitly say that Jesus is preaching and healing in this crowd, I think we can infer that from the fact that he's doing that wherever he goes. One of the telltale things that Jesus does is cast out demons, and we see that happening here as well. It's striking, we've seen this already, but here it is again. The demons acknowledge who Jesus is, even as he silences them. I think Jesus neither needs nor wants demons declaring who he is. Uh, Jesus will accept the testimony of his Father speaking from heaven, working through him through miracles. He accepts the testimony of the scriptures concerning who he is, and he accepts the testimony of John the Baptist related to the identity of Jesus. Jesus accepts that, but he does not accept the testimony of demons even if they're right. We, We never see Jesus arguing Well, as the demons say, I'm the Son of God. He doesn't do that. Uh, Now, perhaps our passage next week is going to shed some light on that when his enemies accuse him of being in league with the devil. But it seems here that the the demons just can't help it. Uh, They can't help it when they encounter Jesus but to scream out. Uh, They encounter Jesus and they are terrified. The Holy One of God encounters the unclean spirits and they lose their minds. They can't help but confess who he is. Jesus is here before the crowds. We see him once again engaging in the work of his mission. Jesus says that he's got to go on to other villages. Earlier he says this in the gospel. That's why he's sent out. Although he's been rejected by the Pharisees and the scribes, he continues to be faithful to the mission from his father. Now, I think that should encourage us in at least two ways. Jesus didn't stop his mission to save us just because it was hard. He didn't give up just because there was difficulty in opposition. He was courageous 
to see it through to the end. He was not deterred by opposition. I'm sure many of you have been watching the news these last few days. Uh, I watched an interview with a former president of Ukraine, and he was dressed in fatigues, and he was leading a small band of resistance uh, in Kiev. And of course, you've probably seen pictures of Zelensky in, in battle fatigues as well. Uh, these guys know what they're facing, and they're determined to go on no matter what. I think that's a great picture of courage. Uh, Jesus was fully determined to see his mission through to the end. Uh, he didn't quit because he was rejected. Uh, in fact, that rejection will be part of how he fulfills this ministry and this mission. This hostility that he faces will ultimately culminate in his crucifixion and in our salvation. So we should be encouraged that Jesus didn't give up on his mission to save us just because it was hard, just because he had opposition. Next, I think we should be encouraged uh, to continue in faithfulness ourselves. This picture from Jesus should encourage us to continue on in the things given to us. Uh, it is easy to be determined to die with Jesus like Peter, and then to crumble under pressure just like Peter did. Uh, it's easy to stand tall when there's no pressure, and then to pancake as soon as the first bullets fly. We don't follow somebody who has faced less than we have. Uh, our commander has more battle experience than we will ever accrue. The one who leads us knows exactly what we will face, and he is with us through it by his Holy Spirit. It may be difficult at times to stand for Jesus at work, in public places, maybe in our own family at times, but we follow one who continued faithfully under pressure, and he is with us to help us in every single situation we face. He tells us that he is with us to the end, and he will not fail in that. We should be encouraged as we see Jesus continue to do the exact thing that he was sent out to do. He didn't give up because it was hard. That encourages us to continue on. Let's look next into these next verses here uh, and, and see how Jesus disciples and sends out the twelve here. I'll read just the first few verses of it, 13, 14, and 15 here. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, Jesus had all of these people coming to see him. He had massive amounts of people listening to him. Now, if Jesus had wanted to spark a riot or lead a mob, he would have had the raw material at his disposal, right? Uh, he could have led quite the revolt. But that's not the way that Jesus chose to work. He did not take the approach that bigger is better here. Uh, it's often tempting to think that big crowds get things done in the world. Uh, but while Jesus does genuinely love the crowds here, he cares for them, uh, he gives special attention to a relatively small group of people. The, the people that he decides to invest in uh, is quite a limited group here. In our passage, Jesus goes up on a mountain, and that should cue us in if we're reading the Bible. Uh, important things happen 
on mountains in the Bible. You can remember the sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, where the Lord calls Abraham to go to sacrifice Isaac and stops him short. Uh, You can think of the, the law of God being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The temple is built on Mount Zion, which is the same as Mount Moriah. This is in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes up on a mountain and he calls these 12 to himself. Luke notes, Mark doesn't note it here, but but Luke tells us that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer before choosing these 12 apostles. As we look at verses 14 and 15, we see two broad things about why Jesus chose this small group of guys. First, Mark tells us that he does this so that they might be with him. That's the foundation of Jesus' discipleship of these men. He invites them to be with him. The large crowds are going to go home eventually, but these 12 will not. Now, of course, there were more than the 12. We read elsewhere, there's 72 that he sends out. We we hear of others in the book of Acts who are with them, but these 12 especially are going to stick close to Jesus throughout his entire ministry. Now, I believe that Jesus enjoyed having his disciples with him. Further, I think anybody who had half a heart would have loved being around Jesus. But beyond enjoying his presence, his apostles would have spent their time listening to Jesus, watching him closely, asking him questions. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine being with Jesus, to be called to be by his side through his earthly ministry? It would have been amazing they would have slowly been absorbing the constant flow of divine wisdom and revelation that came from him. They would have seen the heart of God as they watched him interact with other people and with themselves. They would have had immediate access to ask questions of somebody who could rightly answer everything. They could ask any question they had about God or this world and and heard from him. They would have received correction from Jesus. I bet that must have stung sometimes because he never got it wrong. Uh, They would have received encouragement from Jesus in their moments of challenge. They would have been trained by Jesus. The The impact on them changed the entire course of their lives. Jesus shaped them indelibly as they were with him. It so shaped them that the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 take note of it. You've heard this verse before. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And that was the point. That's right. Jesus calls these 12 here that they might be with him. Now, while we don't have the privilege of walking with Jesus in the same way that these first disciples did, that doesn't mean that we can't be with him or that he can't be with us. Jesus told his disciples about his departure in this way in John 16, 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
in the coming of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, Christ dwells in us through him. We have union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows us Christ as we delve into the word. What a privilege that we have the Gospels, that we can read about Jesus, what he was like in his earthly ministry. What a privilege that we have all of the scriptures that point to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God inscripturated, all of it, points us to the word of God incarnate. And as we continue to grow together into Christ-likeness, as God is conforming us to the image of his Son, then we get to see glimpses of what Jesus is like as we interact with one another. Now, that's not perfect. It's a marred picture. None of us is perfect. And yet, we get to see uh, the, the mercy of Jesus through one another in our interactions. We get to see the love of Jesus uh, as we grow together to look more like Christ. So Jesus calls them to be with him. Uh, they're going to be shaped by that for the rest of their lives. Uh, the next thing it says here is that he calls them to be with him and so that he might send them out. It says here then that they're sent out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. After having the apostles with him, he's going to send them out. Now we're going to see this take place at least in one occasion in Mark's gospel. Chapter 6, verse 17 to 13 Jesus is going to send them out to do the very thing that he calls them. I'll, I'll read this as Mark 6, verse 7 and following. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then, uh, excuse me, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they are going to go out. They are going to be sent out. And, and this is part of the very reason why Jesus calls them to be with him. In sending them out, Jesus commissions these apostles to be extensions of his ministry. Preaching, having authority to exercise, to cast out demons. Uh, this is the very ministry that Jesus himself is engaging in at this time. These are the things that Jesus is doing, and he is going to send these twelve out to do that very thing. These apostles are not only going to be current extensions of that ministry, um, all but Judas are going to extend that gospel ministry uh, of Jesus beyond Pentecost. They will be commissioned to go out into all the world and make disciples. We'll see that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I believe that that same call is on us today. We are likewise called to go out and to make disciples. Now, how can we do that? I think that we start close to home and we start close to heart in that. As we think about how do we go out, how do we make disciples as the Lord has called us to, uh, we want to grow, we want to pray, and we want to share. Uh, on the, the grow side, I think we want to ensure that we are seeking the Lord, that we are growing in Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be super Christians before we can speak about Him to anybody else, 
But we want to be seeking him. We want to be growing in him. We want to continue to pursue Christ in our lives. Then we want to pray. Uh, We want to take up the task and the mantle of the prayer warrior. I'm always encouraged to hear about people who pray for years for family members and excited to hear that those family members turn to the Lord. Uh, We want to be in prayer. The, The task that the Lord calls us to is impossible for us in our own strength. It's nothing that we can accomplish. And yet, uh, God is so often pleased to act. And he must act. And so we must pray. If anything's going to happen, he's got to be the one to do it. Then, we want to share. We want to tell others about Jesus, who he is. We want to encourage believers to walk in him. Jesus says to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Well, that process of learning how to observe all that Jesus commanded, that's a lifelong calling. We want to be encouraging one another. We want to be discipling one another into following Christ. This starts close, uh, close at home. It starts with your family. And it continues on to your friends, your co-workers, your acquaintances. We want to pray that God would also make us sensitive to those one-off conversations, those opportunities that we get just bit by bit. I, last week I met a guy and was chatting with him and told him I was a pastor and he asked, oh, you're a pastor, can I ask you a question? Sure. How do you know you're not going to go to hell? <laughs> wow, okay, thank you, Lord. There's an opportunity. I got to share the gospel with him. Pray that God would give you those opportunities. Pray that he would send those people into your life. Pray that he would make you ready for those moments. Uh, I've had some resources in the back I wanted to hand out. There's a, a book. I was given a good number of these books. It's, a, uh, it's an apologetic book. It's called More Than a Carpenter. If you're interested, there's a pile of them in the back. Uh, feel free to take them for your own reading. It kind of follows the... Uh, the line of Christ is either lunatic Lord or uh, lunatic liar or Lord. Uh, if, if you want a resource, it's back there for free. You can pick it up. Uh, if it would be helpful to you or to hand out to somebody else. Uh, we want to be ready for those moments. We want to prepare ourselves for those moments as we can. And yet, uh, only God can really make us ready in the moment. Although we are not these initial apostles... Um, We can still be with Jesus, and we are still sent out by him to the world around us. Before we close today, I want to look just briefly at the apostles that Mark names here. Uh, I won't look at every single detail or give you a biography of every single apostle. I just want to make a few notes. Uh, Simon is mentioned first. Simon called Peter. Uh, Jesus calls him Peter, which means rock in Greek. Uh, He is listed first here. He's listed first in all of the Gospels when the apostles are mentioned. There is certainly some prominence to Peter. I don't think that that warrants making him Pope and his successors Pope, but there was certainly something prominent about Peter and what the Lord was doing with him. We also notice that uh, in this list, James and John put together, they're called the Sons of Thunder. They must have been somewhat boisterous, I imagine. Uh, One commentator pointed out that there must have been some remarkably strong personalities among the disciples. If you look at Peter and 
And these two, and as their stories bear out in the Gospels, uh, it's, it is remarkable that there was unity among the disciples. There would have been all sorts of opportunity for strife, and sometimes there was competition. Uh, but it's amazing the way that the Lord brought these together. And I think we see that especially as we think about the fact that there was, as well, in this list, Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Simon the Cananean. Now, the phrase here in verse 18 the Canaanian, that comes from Aramaic. It gets borrowed into Greek, just the way it is. But what it means in Aramaic is the zealot. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke just calls them in Greek the zealot. Uh, the zealots were, I mentioned them a few weeks ago, they were that Jewish party that uh, wanted independence for Israel once again. They were craving that, and the way they carried that out was often by political assassination. And so here you've got... Uh, Matthew, who is Roman collaborator par excellence, and you've got a zealot. Jesus calls them both, calls them to be his disciples, and there they are together. I, mean, I, I bet you've had at least a toned-down experience of that, of people in your lives who you really have absolutely nothing else in common with. You would not be with them for anything except for the fact that they're followers of Jesus. I mean, maybe you've had that experience in your life of having people in your lives that you, you step back and think, why am I this person's friend? <laughs> Other than the fact that Jesus has brought you together in one body. It's remarkable that when we are following Jesus, when we are seeking him, he can bring us together. Sure, we can have differences on various things. And yet, when Christ is our foundation, when he is the one who's holding us together, we can learn to live together. Or we can learn to uh, tolerate one another when Jesus is our focus. Lastly, I just want to mention here the, the last man on the list, and that's Judas Iscariot. Uh, Iscariot, as we often hear him as that, that particular Judas, that likely comes from the Hebrew for Ishkariot, which would be the man of Kerioth. Uh, it's a city mentioned. Uh, but here Judas is, uh, and he, even here, we hear that he is the one who betrayed him. That follows him all along. Some, uh, one commentator said it follows Judas like a ball and chain through the Gospels. He's always mentioned as the one who would betray Jesus. Uh, here he is. Jesus, praying all night, picks Judas. I don't think that was an accident. Jesus knew the kind of man that Judas was and what he would do, yet he picked Judas even Judas, to be in this party. And I think Jesus even loved Judas. Well, Jesus pulls together quite the motley crew. Uh, most today uh, would have sought to work through the great crowds to get something done. That's not the way that it was, though. Jesus worked through the twelve, and they were rather ordinary men. God so often uses that which is small and that which is not great in the eyes of man to accomplish his purposes. I think we find hope in that. We don't have to be a Billy Graham. We don't have to be anything big and grand for God to use us. God can use us in all of our weakness, all of our foolishness, all of our ignorance, all of our inadequacy. God can use us in that. He is so often happy to use the, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. There's hope for us in that. 
So often I think, oh, I can't, I can't talk with this person. I, I, don't, I won't have answers in response. Well, that's not really the point. <laughs> you know, it's not really the point if I am ready. It's not the point if I am adequate in myself to do anything. God is so often pleased to use us in our weakness. He uses these 12 very ordinary people who would have gone on to be very ordinary people until the day they died had Christ not called them. He is so often pleased to use us, and and that's our hope. And we're encouraged that no amount of opposition that Jesus faced caused him to shrink back and fail to be faithful. In our day, we want to continue to be faithful, knowing that uh, his work is his to do, and he is happy to use us. So let's, let's be faithful to that. And as Maggie comes to play and the men prepare for a communion, let's go to prayer together.